Okay, once again, I'm going to open up by thanking the commentator, Ralph Davis, who basically, if he had not written this, I would still be studying and coming up with an outline because he's so helpful. But two chapters of a lot and a lot of almost redundant information just helping me categorize it so I can deliver it. But um, let's open our Bibles one last time to Joshua. We're going to read some of chapter 23 real quick. Um, starting in verse 1. Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall, be, you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, and lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from, you, from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you, or as he promised you. Therefore, take heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God, or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Whew. Okay, let's stop right there. First point I want to talk about is this kind of if and then, this conditional type setup. And the first if then that we see is if God is faithful, and he obviously has been, if God is faithful, then how do you respond? And you respond in love. That's the short answer. If God is who he is, and he's driven out these nations, and he's done all these mighty works for them, then the obvious, obvious response is obedience and commitment to him. He's given them the land and will continue to do so at this point. It's like they've taken over the promised land, but there's still pockets of people that they need to drive out. It's almost like they've broken the back of Canaan, but now they have to finish the job. And like we read, I think last week, the, the lots, that there's still things like Manasseh was like, the land's not, it's too, too, not enough. And Joshua's like, you still got work to do. So there's still work to do. And God is saying, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to continue to drive out the people, but be courageous based on what I've already done for you. And one man can take on a thousand. The, the ratio is just boggling, and they can be confident of that. 
And so if that's true, then obedience is the response to God's faithfulness. And this is true for us today too. Um, If God is faithful to us and has given his only son for us, how much should we respond with total life commitment? So we see the standard for obedience is God's word, is the book of the law of Moses, which was their Bible. And so even today, the book, this book is our standard for obedience, not what the world says is right, because frankly, that changes about every decade, if you haven't noticed. The bikinis are different than they were in the 50s, okay, girls? It's just different. You know, what's acceptable has changed. So, um, so the standard for obedience is God's word. It's consistent. It's what God has said is true. And then the form of obedience, we see, Josh, we're really going into this separation from the world. Um, in verse 8, he tells them to hold fast to the Lord. And this, 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 um, this phrase, hold fast, is used in Genesis 2.24 about marriage. Is that kind of hold fast, like cling your one flesh, that kind of commitment. And that's not just an Old Testament thing. In Romans 12, 2, um, Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't mesh into the world's form. Um, It's, you know, like a candy mold, you know, that you pour the hot chocolate in and it molds to whatever shape is in the mold. Don't, don't you be molded to God's word, not to the world. And in 1 Corinthians seven thirty nine, he talks about not part, partnering with a non-believer. And that can be in marriage. That could be even potentially business partners or people you have a close aligning relationship with. So do not get separated. And so what's hard about this is other places in scripture they God says be salt and light and you you can't just hole up in your house and not come out into the world because that goes against other passages in scripture and and so the best thing I can say is be super careful with the world and um there's this I don't know if you ever use Clorox but when I use Clorox I have to use it because I have to get the stain out But when I hold it, I'm like holding it very carefully because if it splatters, I'm getting spotted with Clorox, okay? And so that kind of idea of not getting spotted by the world, handle the world carefully. And yes, you can't avoid it, but be careful with your best friends, with those places you tend to go a lot that are gonna have influence on you. What What are the things you're spending your money and your calendar time with? These are the things that will influence you. So we have the standard is God's word. The form is separation. But the motive, what is the motive? The motive is a mixture of God's grace. That's the first motive of God has loved me with this crazy unconditional love that he saved this people out of slavery. They didn't work their way out. They were totally helpless and God rescued them just like he rescues us from sin. But also, as weird as it feels, and when we cling to grace so much, there's also a motive of, look, don't mess around with God. Don't mess around, because there's another if-then in our passage, which is a big warning. If you 
mess around and start worshiping these other gods, then I'm going to kick you out of the land yourself. And so take careful heed because there's going to be hardship if you disobey me in this. You'll have thorns in your eyes. That is really a painful picture. And what's so ironic is we run after the world because we think it's going to make us so happy and it's going to make our lives better and easier. And God is saying, no, actually, it's going to make your you have scourges in your side and thorns in your eyes and you will lose the enjoyment of all the promises that God has given you. So bottom line, if you forget God, it is like forgetting your first love. It's like a marriage where the husband or what, well, where in this case, probably the wife, the bride of Christ cheats on the bridegroom and you're going to have broken relationship. It's just a consequence of that kind of sin. And that's how God looks at it as in we are in love and this is an exclusive relationship. So that's the if then. But let's talk about in the next chapter, um, chapter 24, there's this goodbye and it's a covenant covenantal goodbye um and he has the leaders come and it's almost like a covenant renewal ceremony um and and so let's read the first part of chapter 24 we'll start in verse 1 then joshua gathered all the tribes of israel to shechem so this is a different different place and called for the elders of israel for their heads for their judges and for their officers and they presented themselves before god and joshua said to all the people thus says the lord god of israel your fathers including terah the father of abraham and the father of nahor dwelt on the other side of the river in old times and they served other gods then i took your father abraham from the other side of the river led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam, therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Okay, so here is this kind of covenant history. 
And if the first chapter, the chapter 23 was more saying how you're going to obey and how you're going to follow, this one is talking about whom you're going to follow. The first, the first 20, the chapter 23, the first section we talked about, again, how do I serve? This is whom do I serve? And the location is interesting. The first chapter 23 probably was at Shiloh where the tabernacle was. This one it says is in Shechem. Shechem is interesting in the history of Israel because this is where Abraham was actually promised the land in Genesis 12. And then later when Jacob was about to go back and go back to what he was supposed to do after Laban and all that stuff and he had his family, he told his family to turn in their gods and he buried them in around Genesis uh, 35 in Shechem under the like at the tree so for some reason Shechem is like this 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 huge historic place um and I think that adds to the kind of the oomph of the story and so he gives this kind of list of a quick history of their family tree and how it actually started in a very surprising way it started in the middle of paganism and Abraham was just plucked out of nowheresville to start this family of God. And so we're going to see with this, uh, this, uh, this story, first of all, a surprising grace. I mean, how unlikely a family father of this nation was Abraham who worshipped gods, false gods. But also this story is slow to develop. There's a very gradual pace to this, to this grace. Um, look at how it, you know, Abraham has chosen. He's promised this land in Genesis 12. And then he has one son. And then Isaac has a baby, two babies. It wasn't like they were just having twins and triplets right and left to kind of hurry this along. No, it was very slow in the beginning. But also it was very mystifying. Okay, what I think is so interesting is I've never really in all of the studying about the story of the Old Testament, this whole idea of he had Jacob and Esau and Esau's family, his people got Mount Seir. And then what did he say about Jacob and his people? They had to go to Egypt. And so it's surprising, it's mystifying. Why would God do that? What does hardship have to do with this story? And hardship usually exposes his powerful hand. So it's a surprising grace, a gradual pace, mystifying ways, a powerful hand. There's no glory for God. I mean, you know, that saying, no guts, no glory. God has got the guts in the stories, okay? There's... They're outnumbered at every front. The people of God are slaves. They, they, they wimp out. They complain. They're bitter. And constantly we're seeing the glory of God because of just the way his power is highlighted. And also we see in the story about Balaam and Balak, you know, the king hired a prophet to curse God's people. And this is the story when he's on the, the donkey, is not doing what he said because the donkey sees an angel and the donkey actually talks back to the prophet and says, you're, I don't know what he says, I can't remember, like you're an idiot or something, you know. And, and he, couldn't even, he couldn't even curse God's people. God wouldn't even let the prophet do what he was hired to do. He could only bless God's people. 
There's, there's a faithfulness to this protection God does for his people. And lastly, there's a continuous provision. And I love this. Not, not only when they wandered in the desert did their shoes not wear out, but when they get to the promised land, guess what? They didn't have to build a city. They didn't have to plow and clear trees to make a field. It was already built for them. It was all there, ready to go. They got to live in cities they didn't even build. So when God provides, he provides abundantly. So what's the response of the people? And let's read in 14 and 15. Now, this is Joshua talking. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose house you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua lays down the gauntlet to them and says, Look, you got to choose somebody. It's like Bob Dylan said, You're going to choose somebody. You're going to choose the Egypt's gods that your fathers still were kind of clinging to. You're going to choose the new gods you're discovering in these houses and these cities. Or you're going to choose the God that brought you here and did all that stuff in your family history. So they respond with, yes, it's logical to them. Yes, we're going to serve Yahweh. We're going to serve God. We're going to serve him in sincerity and truth. And it's going to be exclusive. We're only going to serve God. We're not going to serve all this. And then in that really great way that Joshua must have been trained, he said, no, you're not. (laughs) You can't do it. God is so holy, there's no way. And it reminds me of that scene in A Few Good Men when Tom Cruise has Jack Nicholson on the stand and Jack Nicholson in that rough voice goes, you can't handle the truth. And that's what it makes me feel like. And Joshua's like, you can't handle this commitment. And he's so right because then we see judges in the very next book of the Bible. And Joshua just is honest with them. And we go, why is Joshua being such a downer? Why is he so, I mean, come on, you're not supposed to do that. Seminary told you to end your sermons on a good note, you know. And he's just being really, really blunt and honest with them to say, no, no, really, really choose. You got to really choose because it's not in you to do it. It's not in you to serve this holy God. And God's holiness is what will turn this blessing into a curse. And he will take away this blessing because of you not sticking to this relationship that you're vowing to. And he puts a big rock up near the, near the tabernacle to be a witness, to remember this is what you've chosen to, to be is God's. And then I think it's interesting at the very end of our book, it talks about these three burial places. It's kind of interesting. You talk about ending on a weird note. And so it talks about where Joshua and Eleazar, Eleazar was the high priest and Joshua was, of course, the leader. And when they died, where they were buried were in their home tribes. And then it has Joseph's bones being brought back and he also was buried in his tribal ground. 
And I just love this, um, that in verse 31, the people stayed faithful as long as Joshua and the next set of elders were alive. So they, it, it did work. And we get kind of a hint, a sad hint of as long as these people that saw God work were alive, the, the, the Israel, the country was faithful. But the other thing I love about the just three burial things is think about how many times someone died. I mean, all their parents' generation died in the desert. Where did they bury them? Can you imagine having to bury your mama or your daddy and going, I'm never going to see this spot again. And it was in such a temporary place. And just the blessing of being able to at least get buried right. You know, just being able to get buried right. And that Abraham had to buy his own burial plot. These were given by God. They were part of their inheritance. And I just, I just don't want us to skip over that seemingly insignificant detail at the end of our book. So, that's Joshua. How do we wrap this up, this whole semester? How do we wrap it up? Um, first of all, we have a very faithful God. We have a, such a good God. And I hope this has just been hammered over and over and over again about how strong he is and how good he is and how he's in love with this people of God who don't love him well. And that he is just totally loyal and will keep his covenant promises to us. And I want to challenge you in just your individual story. How has he been surprising in his grace to you? How, he, how has he, yes, been slow to work, but he's working? And maybe in mystifying ways, maybe in the ways that we can't understand, like why would you send Esau to Mount Seir and him have this great location and you're sending us to slavery in Egypt? That doesn't make sense. Are there mystifying things in your lives? But also, does God show you that he has the power to shake things up in your life? all while protecting you and providing for you along the way. How, he's, how has he blessed you personally with a family, with a health, with a protection of a good job, with spiritual blessings of just having peace and joy and just being able to sit in his presence at any time of the day. But also I want to expand this to our church body because I feel like God has been really faithful and strong for Trinity and just giving us a new place, raising that much money up out of our little our little group. <laughs> you know, I don't see a lot of jet planes happening around here, okay? So that is just amazing to me, how much sacrificial giving God is using to give us a building. And just our unity during the COVID stuff and all the political upheaval, just that was a huge blessing for our church. And I really do feel like just working at Trinity, I get to see behind the scenes and I see how healthy it is. And that is such a blessing for me to see up close and personal with our leaders and um, just our deacons and our session members and our you know, pastors and our women's shepherding team. I mean, it's just so many blessings God has given our church community. But then I stretch it out into Fort Worth and I think about all the biblical churches there are and how God's word really is going out right now. And I'm just amazed at his blessing. So how do we respond? How do we respond as a city, 
as a church and as a woman in your seat right now? Well, first of all, we need to respond like he's asking them to, to be brave. Because of him, we can take on a thousand things. And that's why I put that picture of Aslan on the back of your handout. There's a really sweet poem. It's old, but I think it's, I just want you to apply this covenant idea to you personally. And how do we thank him? How do we serve him? How do we love him more than anything else, including these gifts he's given us, like children, like jobs, like influence that he's given us all these things how we not cling to them instead of the giver and then we need to ask ourselves when we don't love him the best what blessing are you willing to give up on peace and security free to the spirit his presence because just like he warns them he warns us um we need to keep true to our one true love and we don't need to get meshed into the world's mold. Um, honestly, this is something that I want us to remember as we move into our new neighborhood. Like, it's gonna, we're gonna be interacting and are we gonna be true with the standard of obedience of God's word? Are we gonna be salt and light in that neighborhood? Are we gonna be scared? Or are we gonna be confident in that Aslan type savior that we have. You know, one of the things about this this whole semester that was really hard, that one of the reasons Joshua is a hard book to study is just the, the outright violence and killing and, and, and while I feel like we really get a sense of God's holiness and just how good he is, yes, but how holy he is and we need to treat him with that respect. I also, I was talking to my husband and he gave me this idea that I was like, this is really helpful for me. It's like the church, just like Israel was like a lifeboat. It was a rescue boat for the world. And now the church is that rescue boat for the world. And when you have someone or something, a false teaching or a false teacher, just jabbing holes in your rescue boat, what is your sense? Get that person out of the boat now because we cannot rescue people. And I think that's just part of the, the, the call of God's people is, look, you need to be careful. You need to serve the Lord in his holiness with care and with respect. And I hear that Jack Nicholson voice again. You can't handle it. You can't do it. And this is the good news about Joshua is that Jesus came. A new Joshua, a fulfillment of that Joshua figure came in Jesus. And that is my answer to Jack Nicholson's voice, is I can't, but Jesus Christ did for my sake. He chose to keep this law, this standard, he chose to keep it perfectly. He kept all the covenant relationships in our place. He was a faithful son in the house of his father, and I'm an heir with him and all the inheritance that that provides. So I get the confidence. Just like God told them, be confident. God is always with you. God fights for you. We can be confident that God himself stands before us. But also in, in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, we get this same sense of that now and not yet. And I'm going to read that um, because we are struggling. We are given the promised land, but we're not living in it totally right now. We're 
we have the down payment of the Holy Spirit, but we're going to have it in essence. But if you read Philippians 2, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, that's what we're getting. We are getting that from Joshua for sure. The fear and trembling is back. (laughs) For, and this is what's encouraging, it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good purposes. That is God to be just balm to your soul right now as you think about God's holiness is again that grace. He does not leave you to figure this out on your own. He actually sent himself, his own son, to keep that law so that we can never lose those ultimate covenant blessings of living in his new heavens and new earth forever. So the question we pose at the end of this study is what Joshua said to us as a people and us as women individually is whom will you choose? Let's pray. Lord, we want to choose you and we need help to choose you. So please, Holy Spirit, make our hearts large and big and in shape so we can run the way of your commands and help us to to respond to your grace and your faithfulness with total faithfulness back. In your son's name we pray. Amen.